Well, here we are on Thursday, and it's a week that just seems like it keeps going and going and going here, but that's okay. It is cold outside, but not as cold as yesterday. It's 7 a.m., and you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Let's begin our morning together in prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. It's good to say those things out loud. Sometimes we need to say them. You know, Maybe if we walk around saying that more throughout the day, we dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. It could help keep us in check. I'm about to do this. Wait, is this for the greater glory of God? Probably not. Okay, don't do that. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. Is this for the greater glory of God? No? Okay, don't do that. Easy litmus test right there. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about envy. We are also going to hear about the consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And then Deacon James Keating is back with us in studio to talk about prayer and going a little bit deeper in prayer. What universe are you living in? The universe? Are you living in the gospel or are you living in the world? It's really the question before us. Where are you living? All of that and more. Let's first go to Mike Roberts for today's weather. Today is the feast day of the 40 martyrs of Sebaste and St. Francis of Rome. Born in Rome in 1384, her parents were wealthy aristocrats. At the age of 11, she declared her desire to become a nun, but the next year Francis was forced to marry Lorenzo Panziania, commander of the papal troops. Their marriage turned out to be quite happy, though Lorenzo was often sent away to war. Francis found company in her sister-in-law, Venosa, who, like Francis, had a desire to serve the poor. The two became very close and gave a great deal of their time and resources to the poor. At one point, Francis became gravely ill. Distraught, Lorenzo sent for a man who could to magic, but Francis drove him away. Then Saint Alexis appeared to Francis and she was healed. She had three children, two boys and a girl, but when the plague struck, one of her sons died, then she lost a daughter. In an effort to help others who suffered, Francis opened her home and used all of her wealth, selling most of what she owned and begging door to door with Venosa to raise more money. Seeing the work they were doing, other wealthy women offered their services to Francis, and eventually Francis founded the Benedictine Oblate Congregation, a group of women who took no vows but simply offered their services in the service to others. She died on this day in 1440. St. Francis of Rome, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. A few weeks ago, we were privileged to have Deacon James Keating, who is a professor of spiritual theology at Kenrick Glennon Seminary, with us here on the show. And I know many of the men that listen heard Deacon Keating at the Catholic Men for Christ conference, and we're happy to have uh, the Deacon back with us here on Roadmap to Heaven. Deacon Keating, good morning to you. Good morning, Adam. Thank you. Last time you were here, we were talking about prayer and really how to just go a little bit deeper. And today, that's kind of the hope as well, is to push a little bit deeper into our prayer life. And as we begin, I kind of want to go back to something that you said at the men's conference, and that was that whole idea of just living. Are we living in the gospel, or are we living 
somewhere else? And what does it look like to have our lives uh, living in the gospel? We hear in St. Paul, pray without ceasing, you know. But what does that actually look like? Because I've got to get my work done here at the desk, and I've got to cook dinner for the children, and I've got to drive, and I've got to go to soccer practice with the kids and and all of that. And I'm always feeling like I could go deeper into prayer, but sometimes I feel like I'm hitting that wall of what does it actually look like Mm -hmm. to go deeper. So I'm curious what your thoughts on this are as we begin today. Yeah, the the question about where do you live is probably the most important one because – If we're going to pray, which basically means if we're going to be more fascinated with God than we are with ourselves, we have to disentangle our affections for uh, objects of interest that are less than God. And so this is the great struggle. And you mentioned St. Paul. St. Paul mentioned this as well, that the spiritual life is a struggle. And it's a struggle because we get lost and entangled in things less than God. And in doing that, Well, they are attractive uh, because usually the things that we get entangled in are things that uh, immediately gratify us, and prayer does not. Prayer is not an experience of immediate gratification. And so when we uh, live deep within the, um, the popular culture of the U.S., for example, and then we try and go to church and pray for 10, 15, 20 minutes, we're going to notice that this is not going to be an immediately gratifying experience. And so if we are living deep within the passing age, as St. Paul says in Romans 12, it's going to be a a bit of a slog to get into prayer because prayer does not have that hit or that payoff that, let's say, listening to a podcast does or, you know, listening to a a movie, or going out and playing sports, or having a drink of scotch. These things give an immediate hit. Prayer doesn't. And so we have to trust as we're going into prayer and leaving our normal uh, lives that are somewhat addicted to immediate gratification, that we're going to have to be patient, and there is going to be a time of transition. I think of one of our favorite places, all of us in the world, to go to is the DMV, you know, because we get to sit there and, and it what seems like ages. And recently I discovered a place that's even worse to go wait than the DMV, and that's the Social Security Administration. I had to go apply for a replacement card, and the, the, the security guard said, uh, did you bring something with you? Because looking at this line, it's probably going to be at least an hour. And I laugh, and you're laughing as well, because how many times do I go home and say to my wife, I just need a few few moments of quiet if I could just get some time to not have to do anything and here the Lord blessed me with 60 plus minutes of not only not having to do anything but not being able to do anything because they don't want you on your phone they don't want you making noise I didn't bring a book with me and for the first time in a long time I just had time on my hands to sit down somewhat close my eyes and detach from everything going on around me and say all right I've been given this time. I could spend some time with our Lord, or I can fidget with this ticket and wait for them to go from number 50 to number 67, which is going to take probably four days. (laughs) And that's one of the things that you mentioned in the beginning about Thessalonians that pray always. A lot of times God gives us those examples where he brings us to what I might call secular chapels. And these would be times, you know, even on the, the grocery line at Schnucks or something like that, you're waiting uh, in a, in an unexpected place. And we can either experience the withdrawal symptoms 
of the culture of immediate gratification, which usually leaves us in anger or frustration. Or we can make that slight turn of the will and be with the Holy Spirit who is indwelling our souls. And that's a habit that we have to um, cultivate. So at the motor vehicles or at the Social Security or at the line at a grocery store, uh, we make that choice. We have to make that transition of imagination that God is everywhere. He's trying to get our attention anywhere and everywhere. And so to begin that uh, new habit of not withdrawing from immediate gratification, but making that slight turn of the will to be with God in these unexpected places and uh, make an act of love and be with him. I would imagine that a large part of this is discipline. And and by that, I, I think of the fact that I've spent most of my life as an artist, as a musician, but now I am working on a writing project. And uh, a colleague of mine who's written several books said, Adam, the, the key to this to get started is every day, whether you're feeling it or not, sit down with your pen and your paper and write and just take time to write and get into that discipline. And it was the same with practicing music that some days I felt like, oh, I just want to play for hours, and other days it was, I need to sit down and do this. And as we think about, you know, probably not having that transfiguration moment in the the line at Schnooks that, oh my goodness, I am now on the mountaintop here (laughs) as as the line wraps around the store because everybody went shopping at the same time. Uh, How can we build discipline in our life so that when we do have those moments, it's easier to make that transition or, as you say, not be stuck in that moment of withdrawal from the world and move into the the world of the supernatural. Yeah, and one thing to do is to cultivate an anchor in in prayer, because most of us want to go into the church or chapel or a quiet place in our house, and, um, you know, we think time has passed very quickly, and we realize we've only been in prayer five minutes, and we get fidgety and we want to uh, move because we're restless. So to have some anchor to bring with you, and probably the greatest anchor would be either the Word of God or or the Rosary, which to some extent are the same thing. Because when you pray the Rosary, you're basically doing Lectio Divina of the Scripture. You're thinking about the mysteries of Christ in the Scripture. Or you could just bring the the New Testament or the Scripture uh, with you and use that as an anchor. So that when you want to leave the silence, when you uh, think you're missing out on something, and you'd rather prefer to be outside of prayer, but you've only spent five or ten minutes in it, then to pick up that scripture and start reading a little snippet from the Gospel of John, or to start uh, the rosary, it's an anchor for your uh, body to become disciplined to stay and to stay in place so that God can find you, if you will. If you don't start this discipline now, if you don't push through the pain of the beginning of prayer, you're always going to give up too soon. And there is a a portion of time that we have to get through so that we acclimate our emotional system and our body so that when we go to prayer, we realize, okay, This is something now I'm beginning to look forward to. What? The quiet, the stillness. Before it was the enemy. I'm not used to this. I'm not used to silence. I'm not used to stillness. But now it's becoming something I look forward to because I stayed long enough and I pushed through that suffering, and it really is a suffering, to get used to that silence because we live in a culture of noise. I stayed long enough to go through that suffering and get on the other side of silence. 
And sometimes those two anchors might help us. Or even looking at or holding a crucifix uh, can be an anchor in prayer, in the beginning stages of prayer, when we're still restless and don't want to stay. We're going to pause here and take a break. When we come back, we will continue our conversation with Deacon James Keating about prayer on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Prayer Before a Crucifix Good and sweetest Jesus, before thy face I humbly kneel, and with the greatest fervor of spirit I pray and beseech thee to fix deep in my heart lively sentiments of faith, hope, and charity, true sorrow for my sins, and a firm purpose of amendment, while I consider thy five most precious wounds, having before my eyes the words of David the prophet concerning thee, my Jesus, they have pierced my hands and my feet, they have numbered all my bones. Some in life are called to the radical asceticism, I think, of the, the Desert Fathers or of those still in the monastic communities where they give up so much of the comforts that we enjoy in life. And and I think uh, back to when we started the season of Lent, someone said, are you going to give up coffee? And I said, why would my fasting cause someone else to do penance? <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to bring that up on others. We talk about moving out or, or detaching from the things of this world, those immediate gratifications, those comforts we have. But Sometimes I think we get preoccupied with, well, the two must be mutually exclusive. I mean, for example, one of my earliest retreats I went on in high school, it was my junior year of high school, and one of the faculty members was my freshman English teacher. And he, every morning when we got up at the retreat house, he had already been up for an hour with his spiritual reading and his cup of coffee, sitting in a rocking chair, looking out the window in the foyer at the retreat house. And I thought, now, that's a guy that knows how to pray, and that's something I've taken with me is that, you know, in the morning when I do my reflection, I can have that cup of coffee with me. So does that mean – I guess the question is, do we have to leave these things behind, or is it really just a question of what's more important? Are we willing to leave them behind if we need to, or can I sit outside perhaps in the evening with a cigar and a, and a cup of – or a glass of whiskey and have that quiet time, that time in prayer, maybe whether it's doing that reading or just that meditation or in conversation with God in the quiet on my front porch? Yeah, well, you know, you know, Catholicism is both ends. So, yes, both reading Scripture and having your whiskey – is a very Catholic thing to do. Uh, What is not a very Catholic thing to do is to have a sense of um, being driven to the whiskey or driven to the immediate gratification as if you're dependent upon it. And one of the beautiful things about entering a life of prayer is that the more your prayer opens up to real communion with the Trinity— you'll find that those emotional uh, experiences of neediness or drivenness or anxiety will to some extent be placated by the communion. And there won't be any sense of, oh, I got to maybe choose this uh, over God or God over this. The closer you get to God, the more you realize, I don't need a lot of what I thought I used to need. Prayer itself is the simplifying agent of our lives. And we won't be struggling to let go of the third whiskey. We just won't want it. As our prayer and our communion deepens, our desires become simple. And in that simplicity, we've made room for satisfaction of just resting in relationships In Catholicism, to be simple means that you put relationships first. 
You can be a billionaire if you want. Um, but the reason that billion you have in the bank is tempered is because in your heart, you're actually a simple person who is always prioritizing relationships before achievements, before things, before possessions, before immediate pleasures. You're always prioritizing relationships. And that's the result of this ever-deepening prayer. When we die, the only thing that's going to be in heaven, as far as we know, is relationships. So we better get used to heaven before we die. And getting used to heaven before we die is entering again and again into this ever-deepening love of being in communion with God. And because we're in communion with God, then, of course, we are in deep communion with one another. As we wrap up, one last question I'd like to ask is about really this whole idea of, well, that that's the saints, but it could never be me. And we read of so many great saints, uh, one of my favorites, St. Philip Neri, who after he died, they found his heart was enlarged several times the normal size of a heart, and they attributed it to his heart's burning desire to be with our Lord. Or we think of the saints who were in ecstasy, and we think, well, that those were the saints long ago. Um, are we selling ourselves short if we think that, well, I'll never get to that place where I'd, I'd have that moment of ecstasy like the saints have had? Yeah, I mean, the greatest moment of ecstasy actually is fidelity to this communion we're talking about. Whether there is a, uh, a sensate experience that goes along with it, whether you levitate, whether you get the stigmata, that's really secondary, way secondary. What's priority here is that you carry this peace in your heart as the fruit of of your suffering, this, com- this coming of God, and this displacement of all other things, the real payoff for prayer is that you're finally resting in your human nature and what your nature was made for, which was to go out of yourself, become more interested in another, and rest in that relationship. First, it's God, and then, of course, it would be whatever your vocation is, and then the service of the poor. And so prayer is the anchor for all of these Uh, experiences of being faithful to what it means to be a human being. If we levitate, if we get contemplative experiences that move our hearts in an affective or emotional way, great. That's that's gravy. Uh, I always say that would be like you're sitting outside and a bird alights upon your hand and you, you watch this bird for a few seconds and then it flies away. And it's like, okay, that was a nice experience. But the reason I came outside was to garden or play baseball. And that's the same with prayer. It's like, that was a nice experience I had, but, but let it go. The reason I came into this chapel was because I loved God. I wanted to be with the one I love. Whether I experience something or I don't, you've made the right choice. I think of all the times we spent in high school youth ministry, especially at the Steubenville conferences and talking about there are moments of consolation and prayer, and they are wonderful things, but that is not the re- We don't go to pray for the consolation. We go to pray for the sake of the prayer, and I think you, you've just reminded us of that. Although I have to say, I am curious to know what it would be like to levitate, but who knows whether or not that will ever happen. There are more important things in life. Deacon Keating, thank you for coming back to be with us to talk about prayer. It's always a joy to go a little bit deeper in the conversation than we did the last time uh, you were with us. Could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for our faith. We ask that you deepen this faith, that you do indeed change our desires to make your presence a priority that we choose each day. 
We ask this through the intercession of all of our patron saints and the Blessed Virgin Mary, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this. Prayer for God's blessing of one's daily work. O Lord, my God, creator and ruler of the universe, it is your will that human beings accept the duty of work. May the work I do bring growth in this life to me and to those I love and help to extend the kingdom of Christ. Give all persons work that draws them to you and to each other in cheerful service. I unite all my work with the sacrifice of Jesus in the Holy Mass, that it may be pleasing to you and give you glory. I beg your blessing upon all my efforts. With St. Joseph as my example and guide, help me to do the work you have asked and come to the reward you have prepared. Amen. Here's our catechist question for you today, and I'm not talking about sacraments. I'm talking specifically about uh, rote prayers here, and that's an important distinction. What prayer is the most perfect of prayers in which we ask not only for all the things we can rightly desire, but also in the sequence that they should be desired? What prayer is the most perfect of prayers in which we ask not only for all the things that we can rightly desire, but also in the sequence that they should be desired? That is the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, a prayer that not only teaches us to ask for things, but according to Catechism, paragraph 2763, the order in which we should desire them. So first, that God's name be holy, that his kingdom would come, that we would do his will, that his will would be accomplished here on earth, uh, that he would supply us with what we need, that we would be forgiven, that we would forgive others, that we would avoid temptation and be delivered from evil. There's more to it than that, but for more on that, you have to turn to Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2763. Let's get you another check of the weather here this morning, and then we'll have the daily dose of encouragement for you. A prayer to the Archangel Gabriel. O blessed Archangel Gabriel, we beseech thee, Do thou intercede for us at the throne of divine mercy in our present necessities that, as thou didst denounce to Mary the mystery of the Incarnation, so through thy prayers and patronage in heaven we may obtain the benefits of the same and sing the praise of God forever in the land of the living. Amen. It's a good time to pause on Thursday for our daily dose of encouragement. Patty, I have to say, this week talking about just the first four Beatitudes has been resonating with me each and every day. So I am buckled up. I am ready to go. What is our encouragement today? Well, again, we are talking about the Beatitudes from a reflection that I read from Father Jacques Philippe in The Word Among Us and talking about how it's a beautiful portrait of Christ himself, especially on the cross. So it's a beautiful reflection for Lent, actually, as we look at who Jesus was. He embodied all of these. And then as we grow in holiness, we strive to do the same. So we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are relying totally on God, crying out to God in their poverty, whether that's material or whether it's spiritual. And then blessed are those who mourn yesterday, knowing that that's our ache for heaven and that we will have more compassion on others when we can understand the ache that we all feel when we lose someone. Today, we're going to talk about that third beatitude, blessed are the meek, the meek. And this one gets a lot of trans. Translation difficulty sometimes. And, and in Matthew 11, Jesus said, Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. What is the best definition of meek? There are many different definitions, but Father Jacques Philippe used this word, gentle. 
gentle, little by little. It's when we get rid of our hardness of heart, our bitterness, to gain a more gently, humble, welcoming heart. But here's the crux of the matter about being meek. It requires huge strength. There is huge strength in meekness. Why? Because it takes courage to resist anger. It takes courage to resist violence. It takes courage to resist revenge or pride or bitterness or resentment. So the reason why we're blessed when we're meek is because when we are meek, when we are gentle, it has the power to open other people's hearts when they unexpectedly face our meekness and our humility, that gentleness, right? Their hearts then can open up and are conquered by God's love. So today the encouragement is just maybe ask yourself, where in my life or with whom do I need to just be a little gentler? And I know this is a big one for me because I'm kind of that bull in a china store type person. I am always so forceful and I need to just temper myself, even temper my enthusiasm sometime, temper and become more gentle with those that I love. So we need to pray for true meekness. Again, there's strength in being gentle. It's strength that is controlled. That's really what meekness is. So I know this can be a hard one for all of us. We, we often want to just resort to anger, bitterness, resentment right away, revenge. And we need to pray, blessed are those that are meek, right? Those that are meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I think that can be our prayer today. Lord, just make me a little bit more like you in this area. Help me to be meek and humble of heart. I love that you're giving us this definition today because so often I I try to define meek and I go to the secular dictionary and I get a good definition, but it's not our spiritual definition in the context of the Beatitudes. And this has been a great encouragement for us today. Wrapping up the show today, I want to just spend a moment in laughter about, uh, you know, earlier in the show, I said, okay, we're going to go to a break and then we're going to do this. And then I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. And the reality of it was I couldn't see for a moment out of my right eye. Uh, A few years ago, I began this saga of doing allergy treatments. I found out that I, you know, confirmed what I already knew, that when pollen comes out, it's not my friend. And the tree pollen has been uh, noticeably higher than it had been over the fa- past few days, and it's the number one thing I'm allergic to. And uh, as we were going out of that one segment and supposed to be going into the next with just a quick transition, my right eye has been twitching so much that I was like, oh, I can't. I mean, I can see, but I can't read because it's so distracting. And I had to laugh because I've been thinking about this throughout the show, and I would say, well, why don't you just do something about it. Why why sit there resigned to have a twitching right eye that makes it hard to read things and hard to know where you're at. And certainly, you know, I am doing allergy shots as I have been for the past three years, but my doctor wanted me to try coming off some of the antihistamines that I've been taking just to see how the shots are doing. It's not really not that I might not take them again. All right. What's the point in all this? You don't need my medical history here. Well, how often do you and I in our spiritual lives Try to go it alone. You know, I don't need the medicine. I don't need it. I know there's something that I could do that would probably make this a little bit more manageable, that would make this, that would bring some relief. But pride gets in the way and says, I don't want to need 
to take the medicine. It's the same way when I go to the eye doctor. I get so frustrated sometimes because they're like, what's the lowest line you can read? And I want to be able to read that lowest line without assistance. And they're like, Adam, you're 40 years old. That lowest line is 2015. If you can read 2015 without assistance after being in glasses for 20 years, then we're actually concerned what's going on with your eye. You shouldn't be able to do that at this point. But I want to do that. I don't want the assistance. And it's like, yeah, but if you actually tell us what the lowest line you can read is, you let go of the pride, we can get you fitted with the proper eyewear to help you to see. And, you know, it's just funny to me how stubborn we are sometimes in the medical field. Like, I don't want the medicine. I don't want the glasses. I just want to struggle. And my pride doesn't want me to admit that I'm struggling. I'll prove it to you that I'm not struggling. And that's how we wind up in sin. Well, I've got news for you. I can't do it on my own. And I'm willing to wager that neither can you. I need God's help. I need God's grace to get through this life. Temptation. I love the way Father Chad Ripperger puts it. You know, the devil's probably not hiding behind every tree. He's hiding behind every other tree you know he's not hiding behind every stone he's hiding behind every other stone well i need help because he's hiding behind every other stone and i cannot do this on my own let's pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen all glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen mary mother of the church Pray for us, St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, one of the ways we refer to our Lord is as the divine physician, so don't reject the healing that he offers each and every one of us. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be joined. Well, actually, I I was able to sit down the other day and have a conversation with His Excellency Bishop Thomas John Paprocki of the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois to talk about some things related to Lent and Holy Week, and we're going to bring you some of his remarks tomorrow on the show. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.